All right, welcome to the RSP cast, theory and film, film and theory. Adam Harstead, Matt Waldman, you know, peanut butter, jelly, however you want to look at it, Hedgehog, Fox. We're going to talk a little bit about um, kind of a follow-up to what Adam broached last year with, you know, the state of offenses in the NFL. And then we're going to, we're going to talk about Andy Reid offenses. And I think that that'll probably that'll probably do it for us today you know for this point but you know last year adam we you know you brought up something that michael lopez shared on twitter who is you know a um you know does analytics for nfl and talking about how the the passing game numbers were down more than any time it has been in almost a decade and this kind of coincided with thoughts of things that we've noticed about, you know, the the implementation of more cover two in the league. Also, the offenses responding by running the ball more often, and, you, and than they have in recent years. And it looks like, from what you're, you know, what you were telling me before the show, that it looks like. It, it, that trend is continuing that the the numbers are even further down than they were last year yeah uh so yeah last year the big thing was the cover two and especially early in the season um remember it's if you can remember like patrick mahomes was getting off to a slow start and the chatter was have teams figured out patrick mahomes oh apparently all you need to do to beat patrick mahomes is run cover two as if it's that easy you know, as if cover two was this new idea that nobody had ever thought <laughs> thought of before, rather than a defensive choice with trade-offs, with with strengths and weaknesses. Um, but but that was it. Cover two had stalled um, Patrick Mahomes, and um, we talked about that, and we talked about you know like what the cover two was doing and, and what kind of trends it was, and and I kind of used it to launch a broader point that people think of the history of the NFL as a straight line. Uh, you know, and it started in um, the 20s and then the 30s and the 40s. And over time, teams are passing more and more and more and more, and they're passing more and more efficiently. Um, and it's just like a pretty steady increase, you know, maybe with like a deviation in the 70s for the dead ball era. Uh, but the reality is that like, yes, the upward trend is fairly stable um, and it's fairly line linear over a long timeline. But if you if you drill into the short term, there are a lot of up and down fluctuations where um, like teams averaged substantially more passing yards per game in 1995 than they did in 2005. Um, you know, in 95, the West Coast offense was just starting to spread and defenses hadn't quite figured out the best way to defend it yet. Uh, West Coast quarterbacks won, I think, like eight MVPs in nine years. You had Boomer Esiason and Brett Favre and uh, Joe Montana and Steve Young all taking home, um, in some cases, multiple MVPs. Uh, and and so in 1995, the offense was at kind of the apex of an upward trend. And then teams kind of started to realize that. They, defenses started to figure out not not how to stop the West Coast offense, like the West Coast offense is still run today because it's it's a quality offense that produces good results, but they kind of figured out how to deal with it more. And um, passing kind of went into a bit of a decline for a decade. And then in 2007, the New England Patriots imported a lot of shotgun spread concepts from Urban Meyer and the Florida Gators. And the 2007 Patriots, I don't need to remind you, were one of the best offenses in NFL history. The NFL is a copycat league. Everybody started copying and adapting to that, and offense hit another up cycle. Um, and for the next decade or so, teams kept pushing it in new and different directions, and offense kind of exploded dramatically. Um, and uh, then around 2015, teams started to figure out, like, they, they weren't caught quite so flat-footed by it. They started to gain... Um, and an upper hand again, defenses did. And, and we saw that culminating last year with uh, cover two, or we thought culminating last year with the rise of the cover two and, and all these new concepts that are meant more to contain the spread passing concepts that were in vogue at the time. Um, and, and as a result, the pendulum was shifting back a bit more towards defense. Um, and it has actually continued um, even from last year, passing yards per game is, is down even lower 
this year than it was last year. And it's very easy. I, I write a weekly column on regression to the mean. And if you look at passing yards per game over a short timeline, it's very easy to say that this year's total, um, I think it's about 216 or 218 yards, net yards per game, um, is a huge aberration compared to recent history, which is closer to like 230, 233 passing yards per game over the last decade. Um, and as a result, typically when you're predicting regression, you want to say like huge outliers are going to regress towards what we've seen um, in recent seasons. But if you look at the long history of the NFL and this trend and counter trend pattern, um, it's actually not that much of an aberration. Actually, if you're looking by decade, the last decade is the one that looks like an aberration. It, the last decade is almost as far above the trend line, the long-term stable trend line for improvements in passing as the seventies were below the trend line. Wow. They're, they're like the opposite of, um, I think best estimate is the last decade teams averaged about 25 more yards per game than we would have expected based on the long-term trend. And in the dead ball era, it was more like 35 or 40 yards fewer per game than we would have expected. Um, so in that respect, yeah, I, I don't know if it's, and, and you would know better than I, cause you're, you're into the nitty gritty of like the actual chess game being played on the field. I don't know if it's still the cover two is being effective. I don't know if teams are just passing less because rushing has been more effective. Although, um, rushing efficiency is also down a little bit this year, but it's still up over the last five years, substantially over the long-term trend. Um, so I don't really know necessarily what's driving it predominantly, but I do know that whenever the offense gets an upper hand, it's only a matter of time before the defense reacts. Um, so I'm actually not predicting that the, the low passing yards per game total will regress positively. Uh, I think this is probably much more likely a new normal. And in fact, teams usually average fewer yards per game as the season goes on and the weather starts to get cold and you start to get snow and rain and um, wind. Um, so yeah, I, I, right now teams are at, I think 216.5 passing yards per game. Um, and I expect that that will even go down some in the coming 10 weeks of football. Well, you know, it, as, as someone who was raised in the dead ball era, I kind of enjoy the idea now that all the people who were talking about how Fran Tarkenton, Roger Staubach and Terry Bradshaw would have sucked, you, you know, in, you know, at least five years ago, they were saying that weren't really good NFL quarterbacks. You know, that that just tells me these people who were making that commentary have lived in the roaring, the equivalent of the roaring 20s of football um, in terms of, you know, bathtub champagne, dancing the Charleston and having Fitzgerald like, you know, Gatsby like parties all the time until we, uh, you know, you know, now that we're kind of having a little bit of a depression of that at this point. Um, but I mean, I, I would say just from a from what I've observed a little bit, I would guess it's still cover two um, being kind of the the issue here and that teams just have more success running the football because they can go big and they can use, they're using tight ends who've been, you know, in during this whole era where offenses were really strong in the passing game, we were being told over and over again that these hybrid tight ends were going to be the future. And so for the, you know, all these guys that get up and get into college football and now they're getting drafted and they're not necessarily unbelievably strong blockers, but if you put two or three of them on the line and have them in an auxiliary role, but then also create flexibility off of that where they're blockers in space, as opposed to blocking big men at the line, or they can handle some of these smaller defenders then you then you create a lot of um interesting mismatches um based on alignments and you have a lot more alignment flexibility so we look at the chiefs as a good example of that um and you know i was looking at it last week about travis kelsey because i just wanted to see think about the ways that the chiefs use him and i mean kansas city uses you know 13 personnel maybe as much as everyone but maybe four to five teams in the league last year and that's probably pretty consistent over the past two to three years um and they are they they use 11 personnel probably among the the four or five lowest 
in 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 the league last year, and that's probably also consistent too. Um, so some of the things that they would do is you'd see three receiver sets, and then if they needed to turn it instead of it being a tight thirteen personnel, one back, three tight ends, and they're all at the line like you would imagine. When I think a lot of people imagine thirteen personnel when they're told that, um, they think of these condensed formations like what the Ravens used to do. They would often do. Um, they'd often split these guys out and it look, would look like a 10 personnel set and function as a 10 personnel set where they would have, or, or an 11 personnel set, but they had three tight ends in, in the game rather than, than, you know, three actual wide receivers. If you're going to count Kelsey as a tight end and you just get more, you know, maybe going to Kelsey, but you get better, you get more effective blocking. Or if you have them condensed at the line, you find that, you're drawing mismatches against defenders where um, you're still being able to access Kelsey in a way that defenses are forced to play by certain coverage rules based on the alignment. And that, and, and Andy Reed is basically finding a hole to be able to, to just get the ball easier to a guy like Kelsey. And, and, and I guess that, you know, when I can see why this is going to continue and I kind of hope it does, because the the just as a fan, and I think you would probably agree with this as well. Is I mean, I think we we enjoy points and we enjoy scoring, and that's fun, and that can be a lot that that can be a big driver of of popularity for the NFL. But you know, if you've been a longtime fan, the chess match is a lot of fun to watch and to see how things kind of evolve in a in a different way. And I wouldn't mind seeing kind of a trough with quarterbacks where it's a little bit more of a struggle um and maybe that's just from my um odd perspective that i'd like to see people look back historically and not not think in such a um shallow sort of way that the players were worse than they are now i i you know that's that's something that i think kind of bugged me watching young young x's and o's guys like pull up some of these guys and say when you when you start hearing someone say Jerry Rice wasn't so good, you know I know sometimes folks are saying that out of trolling, and but then I see some of it and I go, yeah, that person's serious and they really don't understand. Yeah, uh, I think it's actually I think it's important that we have a down period um, because that's it's kind of like the creative destruction where the if an offense never struggled, it would never evolve. You know, it would never change. It would never, because it wouldn't have to, it's, it's succeeding. If the West coast, if teams didn't figure out, um, kind of how to handle the West coast, we wouldn't have gotten all of this spread stuff. That's so fun. Right. It, it, what happens is one side gets the advantage and then the other side has to innovate and react. And then after they innovate and react, that side gets the advantage and that forces the first side to innovate and react. And if you don't have these ebbs and flows, you wind up with a very stagnant product um that's just not that fun you know it's it you i think you you grow tired of it so i'm very excited to see defenses get the upper hand and, and even if it's in a relative sense like obviously passing offenses are still much more productive today than they were in um the 80s or the 90s yeah. um, or even the 2000s um but yeah it's it's really good to have um to have the struggles and the adversity and um you know, if Mike McDaniel didn't have the limitations that he's dealing with, he wouldn't have had to come up with all of these really cool and interesting things that Miami is doing on a weekly basis that I promise you three years from now, everybody is going to be doing every week and the NFL will be better for it. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be better for it. I'm Not even just from a bias towards offense sort of way, but just, I think from an aesthetic standpoint, it's very cool and interesting and fun to watch. And I'm really excited too, to see how defenses approach um, a lot of this motion and a lot of these um, creative formations and um, just, just the way that the dolphins are coming out of the snap in a way that like we haven't really seen teams do on a consistent basis. Um, so I'm really excited for that. Uh, and also, I would like to say, if anybody thinks that, like, Jerry Rice wasn't the greatest fantasy receiver of all time, um, like, even from, even from, like, a modern standpoint, like, he obviously was, but the dude from 1986 to 1995, which is 10 years, 
he was the number one fantasy receiver eight out of those 10 seasons. And in the other two years, he was the number two fantasy receiver. Like there's nobody who remotely comes close to even repeating as a wide receiver one in 12 team leagues anymore. Right. Right. Like, like, like people think people will say, and, and they think that they're being, you know, clever that like, Oh, Jerry Rice was the best, but I take Randy Moss at his peak. No. Jerry Rice had the best career of any receiver. He also had the best peak of any receiver. And it's not really particularly close on either. Um, and I think most of the people who who feel that way, like they just didn't watch Jerry Rice no. play. No, they didn't. They didn't. I mean, I understand the idea of Randy Moss at his peak, uh, how great he really was. Um, but yeah, if you're looking, if you're looking really at just performance overall, there's no way you don't say Jerry Rice. There's just, you know, it's that clear cut. And I, I'm glad you brought up Mike McDaniel because I mean, it also shows how much they borrow from other things. I mean, he's using single wing concepts with the way they exchange the ball. I mean, so he's, they're delving into the high school ranks and other different college combinations and there's a there's a coach named dan casey on twitter who was joke showing videotape of the school um denison from the mid 90s showing you know the how they use the exchange with their single wing offense and he was writing about it just gets me excited to think that mike mcdaniel is getting up at 4 a.m to watch dennis mid 90s denison tape to to come up with um ways that they go you know what let's we've got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle let's do this with these two guys you know and and I think that being able to go back and like any art is that way you you see people have their influences they um they study those influences and they borrow from them and apply them um along with whatever in a different combination you know nothing's ever like completely original you know, in that sense. Um, so it's cool to see where they're going to reach to, to, to develop more, um, you know, combinations of offensive and defensive concepts that, that work out. I mean, it's beautiful to watch. I mean, uh, and it's going to change. And you kind of see when people think run heavy, they think I formation, you know, they think full, you know, ISO and wham and you know what the Patriots have done for a long time with their power running game but you can see now too that this also fits what some people were talking about. I remember Bloom talking about Chip Kelly's running game and saying when he came to the Eagles and you know he got a little starry-eyed about it in terms of like in five years we're gonna see fast break basketball and you know and you know after a while you go okay let's 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 calm down here it's not gonna happen in five years but here we are, you know, 10, 15 years later, and you're seeing elements of why one could get starry-eyed about it and say, you know, I mean, receivers may be running the ball more, you know, we're going to spread things out a little bit more, have more open space and punt return space. Feels more like a fast-break basketball game or soccer where the ball's being passed in these wide lanes. And you can imagine it heading in that direction and there's something excited about uh, exciting about that, especially if you like watching people run with the football and work through open spaces like that. That's a fun thing to see. So, yeah, I'm excited about the future of it from a, you know, kind of from an eyes on the ground perspective of what, you know, with what's going on. I, I hope that we see made to value running backs ever further, as we've talked about, but it also kind of um, expands on what the wide receiver position is, or maybe changes what these two positions will be and, and maybe throw in tight end with that, or even quarterback. We may have, we may find ourselves with a little bit more uh, of positions where they have more bleed over into, into the types of things that you would expect from them. And maybe we stop looking at things from a perspective of like, only quarterbacks are this, only wide receivers are this, maybe, you know, and I'm not talking in five years, you know, um, but, you know, 20, 30 years, maybe we are looking at, you know, you think of a rugby field and you think about like how you don't think about positions and 
such a structured way or soccer in as structured of a way as football, um, maybe we'll see a little bit more of that as a result. Yeah, I mean, I love the Dolphins. Everybody raves about their passing game, but their running game is better than their passing game oh, right yeah. now. And it, you know, like it doesn't have the superstar power, like nobody's in the MVP conversation there, but their running game is. And I love the thing, so they did early in the season, they started using horizontal motion at the snap with Tyreek Hill to get him like a free release, which is brilliant. And it, it looks like the Arena Football League and it's very cool and very fun. Um, and I'm like, oh, I love that. Why were teams not doing that? And then they started as a riff on that. They would put a guy in motion at the snap. And then when they snapped the football, he would become the lead blocker on yep. like a sweep. And then the the lead blocker is able to get this full head of steam and just like destroy guys. And that's that's how the running game is springing open everywhere all the time. Um, so I, I love that. Um, and I'm I'm really excited to see kind of the innovations in the run game that we're going to be seeing from Miami. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing. So like I say, I'm not a scout. I'm not like putting the jeweler's loop on my eye and like breaking down like the play on the field. I'm mostly just looking at numbers on a screen. Um, but you do, it, I think you can notice a bunch of interesting trends from those numbers on the screen. Um, and so, like I said, passing was up a ton over the last decade. Uh, Danny Tucido, who's one of our um, cohorts at Football Guys, did a study a couple years back that found that, like, why is passing more efficient today? Um, is it that passes to wide receivers are more efficient? No. Passes to wide receiver, no more efficient. Passes to tight end? No. Passes to tight ends, no more efficient. The only position where passing efficiency was up was passes to running backs. And a lot of the... Um, a lot of the data-driven type will say that like running back passes are not efficient plays and that a lot more of those should be converted to wide receiver passes, tight end passes. So I always love that finding that it's really interesting that there's this, by the numbers, not a very good play, but that that play was the primary driver behind the explosion in um, league passing efficiency. Um, and I was thinking about that and I, I just looked it up. Um, so we're going to use fantasy points as kind of a proxy for running back production. Um, I get that, like, yes, it's kind of a, a rough instrument, but it's going to closely approximate what we're looking for here. So I looked at fantasy points, um, receiving fantasy points by running backs through six games. And 2018 to 2021 were the four highest seasons um, from the position since 2002, which is as far back as my data set goes. Um, so like passing to running backs was just exploding. It was just exploding in volume and efficiency. And that like totally coincided with passing exploding league wide, uh, as passes to running backs went, so went the league passing to running backs in 2022 through six games was 12th out of the 22 seasons in the sample. And so far in 2023, it's dead last it's. 22nd out of 22 seasons in terms of fantasy points through the air to running backs. Um, so from 2021, we went to the highest value season to 2023, the lowest value season. And at the same time, we saw a passing yard per game crater um, over the same two year span. And it, I mean, to me, I can't help but think that those are dramatically related, that, that probably a decline in efficiency passing to running backs is what drove the collapse, just like an increase in efficiency passing to running backs is what drove the climb in the first place. Um, which again, is so fascinating to me because passes to running backs typically, again, they're not the most efficient play. Typically teams get more yardage, um, more mileage out of passing to the wide receivers and tight ends. Um, I don't know if you've noticed anything like that, or if you're looking at, uh, you know, when you're looking at film, I think you're looking more at individual players than league-wide trends, but I don't know if that's something that had jumped out to you. Well, it, it certainly makes sense. And what kind of jumps out to me as you were talking about this subject, but also ending it on the Mike McDaniel, what's going on schematically, because I've certainly written about McDaniel and that run game and how that works and what they're doing. And they're related. Everything you said was related, because when you think about Okay, so leading up to what Mike McDaniel's been doing, the league trend has been getting running backs in space. What Alvin Kamara was doing way back when, when he came into the league about, what, eight, nine years ago? Um, get that guy in space, and he's on an island, and then the reaction to that was, 
all these all these defenders who are they safeties are they linebackers does it matter all we know is that they can run sideline to sideline and they can tackle in space and they can kind of stop these running backs or let's hope that they can stop these running backs and we can be lighter on our feet and keep them from getting outside so what mike mcdaniel essentially has done is you know you did a great job talking about the motion and what they built on that with the riff on on it and the variant but what that that lead blocker does just as importantly as you know is able to clear out space there He's also forcing he's also forcing the safeties and linebackers on the edge to widen their position and lose their um, gap integrity on certain alignments, and then what they can do off of that with either runs further inside or these outside runs is that they're now these linebackers are now in position to be um, basically taken out of the play by pulling guards and tackles and tight ends and bigger men who have the matchup and you're giving your ball carrier um a more dynamic runway to get downhill so now it operates like a punt return whereas before once team defenses started catching up to oh you're running wide route with a you know running back just looping out to the to the flat and you throw it early there or you throw the 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 screen all those plays, most of the time, your running back either has to transition or your receiver has to start from a stopped position and wait for the blocks to set up and then start to accelerate. But what McDaniel's offense is doing is saying, we're going to give you the runway to begin accelerating. And by the time you get to the spot that you would have gotten to if we threw you the ball, people are already blocked. The lanes are wide open and you're now at top speed. Um, and that, to me, is probably the most devastating development with this and why HN, you know, to me, this when when I compared Devin HN to LaMichael James, I know I knew a lot of people who first saw that who knew who LaMichael James was and said, yeah, that doesn't sound very good. And I'm like, no, that's a compliment if you really knew LaMichael James game, because if LaMichael James were playing right now and got the same type of open field looks, he would be Devin Achan, if you ask me. But he wound up in a 49ers offense that was one of the most compressed offenses in the middle of the field, run between the tackles, Frank Gore, you, you know, heavy alignments. And it was about dealing with those dense looks that you would see, say, with the Ravens, you know, a few years ago. Um and now, you know, if he were in the Miami offense, what they're doing is, I mean, linebackers now say, I have to spread out wide for Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell or Raheem Mostert when they go out there that wide. You know, the safeties go out there too. And and then as a result, if they run a wineback play inside <laughs> off of this, the, um, the gaps are just so much bigger. So I... I think for sure that Mike McDaniel has looked has in some fashion, whether it was um, consciously or this was an added benefit that that got into it and it just clicked and said that makes sense. He looked at this and said, "We the 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 running back passes are that's what people are trying to do is the solution and they were working, but you know now these guys are quicker, faster. They're and they're in position and they're using alignments now that, you know, you see a lot of backs, they just get stopped after like two, three yards and they're really not that big of a gain all the time. But now he's just blown it wide open where if if they only gain like eight to 15 yards, you're almost disappointed with what, they're, what happened there. I mean, Chris Brooks, who I'm a big fan of as a late round guy that who can just like, make the league until he got hurt you would look at him and i think you know this is a guy who can get you 15 20 yards in this offense with some of the looks that they're doing um where you know if he were playing on the Bengals right now he'd probably be a 3.4 yard per carry guy um based on what they would ask him to do because he'd be samaj ap ryan part two um and and what's being expected of him so yeah i mean i think overall that's what I'm noticing is the 
is really just that this is the this is the evolution from the wide route and saying we're going to supercharge this thing and we're going to completely um, destroy defenses for um, their you know them following certain rules we're going to turn their rules against them and just put them in awful binds and that's the genius of that offense and it's funny too because um you know 20 years ago the smart teams were replacing running plays with passes to the running backs because that was the that was the play and and um, i know we're going to talk about andy Reid in a little bit but he was one of the guys towards the forefront of this with with brian westbrook where westbrook got tons of catches and not as many runs because you know westbrook did more with the catch than he did with a run it, it was just a higher percentage better play um and so it's really funny it it really just underscores how much of football is just punches and counter punches that now like the pendulum has swung the complete opposite direction and teams are taking these running back passes and and replacing them with running back runs because that's the new edge to be had yeah because it and then defenses are eventually i would have to think that they're going to eventually either have to be bigger up front to defend that because you look at say cleveland this weekend against the the 49ers because the 49ers still is you know there's still a lot related to what the 49ers do and what the you know and what the dolphins have done you know because of the mike mcdaniel kyle shanahan link and you know obviously they're not running exactly the same stuff all the time i mean there's some similarities for sure and they're doing some of that motion and you you see that there in san francisco but what cleveland's able to do and jim schwartz you know you know essentially dismantled that offense in a lot of respects this weekend is that you one you do have um you know you have someone like grant delpit who is a kind of that he's he's much more of a safety in build but his ability to play in the box like troy palomalu was i mean to me i thought grant delpit was the best player in the draft the year that he came out like i i thought he would he had the chance to be the biggest weapon and i thought he could be a troy palomalu player but he got an achilles tear and then he was in a defense and a team that just sucked because Cleveland just, they're the factory of sadness. I'm a fan. So I, I can, I'm going to say that with, you know, all certainty. And I thought they're going to screw this guy's career up, you know, and his career had his, his senior year had been down because he played with a high ankle sprain and was missing tackles left and right. So he wasn't getting the love that his earlier film, you just saw this guy and you're going, he can play at the line and run blitz and just and wrap people up he has unbelievable like movement within a, a like a 10 yard radius of wherever he is to make the equivalent you know you think of guys who make athletic catches where they're like acrobatically leaping and diving and snaring the ball this guy was that as a tackler he couldn't make those types of plays so when you take away his mobility of course he's going to miss those tackles but he's going to keep trying because that's how his style of play um but now jim schwartz who you know to me i mean you know obviously very smart coordinator um maybe not the greatest head coach but you know in his area as a coordinator it, he looked at that and i mean if i'm seeing that i know that every coach that a lot of coaches with any bit of common sense would be like yeah this guy's our weapon we have to use him as the difference maker and we can use him as an additional linebacker, but if we need to, we can drop him back and have him cover T Higgins one-on-one -on -one and win against T Higgins, you know? Um, and then, and so you have this against the 49ers and you see him getting penetration early and disrupting Christian McCaffrey. And when you limit Christian McCaffrey to like, one two three five yard gains in certain situations that should be like you know four eight 20 30 yard gains and christian mccaffrey had some good plays in that game before he got hurt but he also had a number of plays that that limit that basically didn't have good outcomes for what they wanted on a down and distance situation and that's what's more important rather than like the net yards it's if it's third and six and he gains four 
the defense won. They limited him the way they need to. If it's second and if it's second and eight and he only gets, you know, five yards, that's that may look okay. But if the play's designed in a way where you're thinking that play should have gotten like twelve, that's that's a win. And with the Browns, you get you know, you get Hurst up front, who's a big body the tackle who can really occupy defenders. And then you get these two dynamic ends in Zadarius Smith and Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett, I mean, we, we were looking at Micah Parsons as the early MVP, and, and but everyone who's watching football was like, Miles Garrett is step for step, if not better, and in better equipped in a situation to get there. I think Miles Garrett is ha- really the one who's still in that race to say, if you're going to pick a defensive player to be MVP of the league, he's, he needs to be the, the top guy on this list. Right and it's now. not, it's not Aaron Donald. Like you can never go wrong. Just always picking Aaron Donald. Yeah. But like you, yeah. you need like a non Aaron Donald division. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. It, it, I like, there's some amazing pass rushers in right now, but Garrett's always my favorite of the, yeah. The Garrett's one. Garrett's crazy. Good. And so when you add that in terms of the pass rush with that secondary, but what they they were able to do with that run game is just get multiple points of penetration because just like the Ravens when they had a dominant defense and they, I can't remember, um, Haloti Nada. Haloti Nada just, you know, he occupies two, three people. And then you have, you know, multiple points of penetration from your linebackers, your safeties. Um, Steelers, you could say the same thing when they had um, – you know Palomalu and and the and the surrounding talent there, Browns are showing that, and so you know what we're what's going to be fascinating is, are we going to have, you know, are they going to be defense is going to respond by being bigger, or where are they going to get bigger? Where are they going to get smaller? Because you can't find a, a a Grant Delpit everywhere. I mean, the last one that last time anyone could mention someone in the same regard as Palomalu. Might have been Charles Woodson when he played safety as a as a Packer, you know, and that's kind of a distant thing because they didn't use him quite that way. And then Delpit is probably the next guy. We're talking about three guys in the span of like twenty twenty five years. That's um, you know, that's that's not a great rate of success for scouting and and finding talent who are going to say, yeah, let's just find ourselves a Palomalu esque type of guy. Um, so, you know, how they're going to, how they're going to address this is going to get fascinating because I'm, I'm interested to see how, if wide receivers evolve, how are cornerbacks going to evolve? You know, are we going to go bigger, smaller? Are we, are we going to look at guys who otherwise would have been running backs and we say, we're going to put them more at, at cornerback because they're fluid and they can maybe be great in a short area range, but they can be more physical. I, you know, I don't know. It just depends on how how all this develops, and I think that's the most fascinating part of this game is is looking forward to seeing how it evolves. I have to add too. You mentioned Jim Schwartz. Um, just for some history, Schwartz, I believe, was the first NFL coach to openly embrace analytics, um, which he did back in two thousand five, two thousand six, when he was defensive coordinator for the Titans. So. Um, you know, his career's had some ups and downs and and you're right that he he was not that successful as a head coach, but I'm always rooting for him. Um, just because I like iconoclasts, people who are willing to kind of break the unwritten rules and and go outside what at the time is considered acceptable. And I think yeah. his support of that has aged pretty well and it's cool to see him coordinating a top defense. Well, we might as well cap it with the Jim Schwartz by just saying that um I think we also like Jim Schwartz because he was football guys, Marl Tremblay's teammate at Georgetown. When, True. When Marl was a wide receiver, I think Schwartz was a linebacker, <clears throat> if I remember correctly. So, you know, but Marl, Marl tells that story better. We'll, we'll, I'll have to ask him to retell it. But speaking of, you know, coaches, Andy Reid, you know, looking at him and looking at, you know, how everyone was in, wanting to place their markers on which wide receiver was going to, be the lead guy to co-star with Travis Kelsey. 
And right now, the answer is none of the above, you know. And they're bringing back Nicole Hardman, which kind of also tells you further emphasize that none of the above is absolutely true if Hardman is getting traded back from the Jets. Um, so, you know, I was looking at this and I just thought, you know, when I'm looking at his offenses, and I've mentioned this in a couple other podcasts, if you haven't checked them out, you know, um, I'll, I'll mention it again, is that... Um, Looking back at Reed's work with the Eagles, when Don McNan was an offensive player of the year, was a league MVP, was a six-time Pro Bowl passer, um, one of the things that I noticed was that, you know, from 2019, or 1999, excuse me, for the 13-year period of 1999 through 2012, I just... Look, I randomly said, let's say 800 yards is like the the bellwether marker, like the line of like who is pro, who's a productive fantasy receiver. And I thought 800 yards can get you within realm of the top 36, you know, give or take a year. If we don't count James Thrash, who Andy Reid inherited in 1999, there were essentially out of guys that the the Eagles drafted or signed. To their first NFL contracts, he had three receivers from 1999 to 2012 who produced at least 800 yards in a season. Reggie Brown had one, Jeremy Macklin had three, and Deshaun Jackson had uh, let's see, one, two, yeah, four had four. So that's not bad, you know, but it's not like you're not thinking Peyton Manning, you know or Tom Brady supporting multiple fantasy options um, at wide receiver and tight end and running back and like just having a a, a, a squad full of guys you say just just stack this team you know because that's what people were looking for when they see Patrick Mahomes they think this is a gold mine for fantasy well it is restricted to like Travis Kelsey somebody else and because then when you look at the you know the guys that they did bring in, you know, who the Eagles signed as free agents. There were only two seasons that were actually worth fantasy production that uh, from free agent wide receivers they signed during the McNabb era and even the Vic era. And that was Terrell Owens with the 1,200-yard season before he imploded. Um, and then Kevin Curtis, the former Ram out of Utah, who had 1,110 yards in one season. So you're looking at really five receivers in 13 years who put up numbers. And now if it were Jerry Rice and John Taylor, you would say, well, it doesn't matter because they put it up every year. Or they, you know, at least one of them put it up every year, but it wasn't as populated as you expect. And then when they go to, when Andy Reid took his act to Kansas city, well, he's He was, had even more receivers that have come and gone, um, free agency or, or added by a draft. And Jer um, Jason Avant, one year in 2015, had a 1,000-yard season. Juju Smith-Schuster last year with 933 yards. And then it was the Tyree Kill show where he had five years um, of strong production. But that's it. So, I mean, do we just look at this offense, Adam, and say, let's, let's just stop. Let's stop placing our bets on these wide receivers and – or at least anything outside of, if if you're going to think about drafting this guy inside the 10th round, just say no, unless his name's Travis Kelsey or ex-veteran receiver. And I have some theories I'll bring up later, but I'd love to get your thoughts on, on this. Yeah, and I've, like, there have been so many Andy Reid narratives that cropped over up over the year. And I love, I mean, I love Andy Reid. Um, his career is so fascinating when he was in Philadelphia, um, Philly fans would, he, he, you know, he was tremendously successful. Philly fans would lose their mind because he, like, he would pass way more than you would expect from a good team. Normally teams got the lead and just took the air out of the football and ran it for the rest of the game. And his pass rate was just, was crazy high. He was this crazy pass, wacky, mad scientist, right? Now he comes to Kansas City um, and he's oftentimes below league average on pass rate. The thing is, his pass rate has been the same his entire career. Andy Reid hasn't moved. The entire NFL has shifted. You know, <laughs> early in his career, it never passed. Now it passes all the time. 
Andy Reid's the same guy he's always been, but our perceptions of him change. Um, and and I, I love that, that like kind of the vindication that like a lot of these trends we were talking about, Andy Reid presaged. Brian Westbrook as a wide as, as a um, major receiving threat. You know, he was like 10 years ahead of the curve on that one. And, and um, he's just such a smart dude. And he seems like such a, a genuine and cool dude. There's yes. my favorite bit of football writing is um, a reporter was going to break down film on, it's called the greatest game ever played. Um, I think it's the 1966 championship. You recommended the, it here. Yeah. And yeah. it, yeah. He, so he called, he was in Philly and he called the um, Eagles press department and he's like, Hey, can like you make like some like offensive quality control coach available at some time, just somebody who understands football. Um, Cause I'm going to, I want to break down film on this and I'd, I'd love to get somebody like, like an actual coach who understands football. And the press department's like, I don't know, we're pretty busy with our opponents. Um, I don't know if anybody's going to have time, but we'll. And then they call back later and they're like, yeah, Andy Reid wants to do it. <laughs> so the guy thinks he's going to get like some, like yeah, whatever. control coach, yeah. Right. And he winds up sitting in the office with Andy Reid. He, you know, he knows football. He understands kind of the history of football, but he's like, I've never actually watched the game. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And they're sitting in his office and, you know, Reed's got his feet up on his desk and he's got the coach's clicker and he's like pausing plays and rewinding. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, oh, look at this guy, like watch this guy with the block. And he's like drawing the guy's attention to everything. And he's talking about like, uh, you know, who could, who could play in today's NFL? Raymond Berry, Lenny Moore. Yeah. They could definitely play in today's NFL. Unitas absolutely could play, you know, like, I don't think that guy could play. And, um, it's, it's. I mean, I think it's very emblematic of Andy Reid where like he just loves football yeah. and he's not hung up on himself and he's such a fun guy and he's such an easy coach to root for. You know, I think he's one of the 10 best coaches of all time. Um, I love the guy. I, I love, love, love the guy. But there's, you're right. There's so many weird and crazy narratives that surround him and have followed him. And when he went to Kansas City, the big one was like Andy's Re Andy Reid's top running back has historically been like a fantasy powerhouse. Like he's been a monster for fantasy football. So everybody's overdrafting, you know, they overdrafted Clyde Edwards Hilaire and, and they're overdrafting all these top fantasy running backs. And then like, they're getting disappointed. And and now it's, Oh, Andy Reid's top receivers. They've been powerhouses for football. And so everybody's overdrafting sky more based on preseason camp hype. And, and they're getting Hartman disappointed. before that, Demarcus right. Robinson. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, my thing is like good players tend to produce bad players tend to not produce everybody kind of gets hung up on short-term situation things and that can matter i mean like yes mike furry a converted safety did have 100 receptions for the mike marts detroit lions because it's mike marts he's going to throw a million times and there was no other receivers on the roster like that can happen yeah, yeah. but by and large Good players are going to produce, bad players are going to not produce. And Andy Reid is like that, but on steroids. Like when his top running back is Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy, or Kareem Hunt, his top running back is a top five fantasy running back, just dominant. Yeah. When his top running back is anybody else, it's a nobody, right? When his top wide receiver is Terrell Owens, Tyreek Hill, Deshaun Jackson, his top receiver is absolutely dominant in fantasy football. When his wide, top wide receiver is anybody else, complete non-factor. Non when his top tight end is Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey is a dominant fantasy force. When it's anybody else, complete non-factor. And that's that's always been Andy Reid, where if he has a good player, that player is going to go nuts and, and put up amazing numbers. And if he has kind of a mediocre player, that player is going to platoon in and Reid will play to his strengths and he's going to spend a lot of time off the field and he's going to disappoint and underwhelm. And that's been true since 1999 in Philadelphia, basically without exception. Um, it's it's extraordinarily hard to find an example of a guy we know was good who did not have a monster seasons with Reed. And it's very hard to find examples of guys who we know were not good, were so-so were or mediocre, who who had yeah, who... very productive seasons with Reed. It's if you're good, you're gonna you're gonna get featured and you're gonna get a ton. And if you're not good, you're not. And that's that's always been true. And I, I would wager it always will be true. You know, if I like, if Kansas city drafts a wide receiver 
and I really like that receiver's talent, I'm taking him in my rookie drafts. If I don't like that receiver's talent, I'm happy to let everybody else overdraft him by a half round because of the Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid mystique. Yeah, and I think, you know, I had this conversation with Brandon Angelo last night, and Brandon had such a nice take on it that I totally agree with. I mean, like, I, I think I... I wish I'd thought of it to a degree. Like I had showed it on film on Monday on, in the top 10 about why, you know, this is Travis Kelsey's offense, but I really didn't like emphasize it to the level that he did or give it as much gravity that he did, which is Patrick Mahomes is the probably one of the top two to three improvisational quarterbacks in the history of the game. He's pretty much already proven that. And so when we think about, and he's also playing in a West Coast progression read offense, which by nature is the most complex offense in football for passing. Um, as I've often talked about, the West Coast offense is like, if you haven't learned the West Coast offense and you're a rookie in the NFL, like Jared Goff, who was in the, um, in more of a, what do they call that offense? The, the one that Mike Leach always ran that was... That, air Raid. Air Raid, yeah. So Air Raid offense, it has West Coast origins, but it's not the West Coast offense. So it's like, you know, if Air Raid is like English, um, the West Coast offense is like Chinese. You know, and I've often talked about, imagine being a rookie learning Chinese as might as well be like if you're behind a defense and they're running all these exotic blitzes and coverage disguises at you and you have a thick voluminous playbook and you might as well be out in the middle of like some ice festival in China um, where you're trying to ask where the bathroom is and the, and the native speaker who you asked and you were able to remember at least very articulately how to ask to where the nearest restroom is then he or she starts giving you very dense and detailed directions with landmarks and distances and, um, you know, very detailed, like the neon sign that flashes three times and gets quiet, you know, and then pauses once and changes from blue to ice green, you know, is, you know, you want to take a left there, um, go down this alley. I mean, just like think of like directions that would make your eyes glaze over like a dairy cow after you got like probably like 30 seconds into it and you're thinking I'm fucked. Like I've got to go ask somebody else now. And that's kind of what dealing playing on the field is like learning a West coast offense. So, you know, when you add that with Mahomes being that good in it or an Aaron Rodgers who's that good in it or Tom Brady, even in the, in the, the offense that he was in, that wasn't a West coast offense. Um, still, the level of detail they know in terms of to spot coverage disguises, to understand what um, people are trying to do to bait them, um, down and distance situations and be able to think, okay, this is how I'm going to change this play. I'm going to make this change. And I'm going to give like a very subtle body uh, tell to like signal to my receiver, run this arrow route instead of the, you know, instead of the, the in cut. You know, do, do, you know, that kind of change. Receivers don't always pick up on that very well. And we've seen that with the Kansas City Chiefs offense is that these guys, they're still learning. They're asked to learn three different roles, whether it's flanker at the flanker, the slot or, and the split end role. And then they also have to understand all the hots and adjustments that go with those routes. And then you throw on top of it. Oh, then there's just Patrick Mahomes being able to improvise. And being able to move in, in positions where he's climbing and rolling or, you know, flushing from a pocket. And, and at first he's on one side of the field and then he, because people underestimate how quick he actually is. Um, I had his trainer, like I wanted to laugh because I was on Twitter and I mentioned something about how he wasn't unbelievably fast. And I got a lecture from his, from from Patrick Mahomes' trainer about curvilinear movement as if I had never heard of it, which made me kind of laugh uh, on Twitter. But like he was sitting here talking about how curvilinear, his curvilinear speed was great. And, you know, and I needed to learn what I was talking about and I, I need to account for curvilinear movement. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, well, that happens. You know, you get, <laughs> you get on here in a moment. And things that people think you're known for, you're getting lectured by someone who's someone else who thinks something different. But, uh, um, 
you know, he is. He's unbelievably quick. And when you think about how receivers have to, you know, adjust and get into position and do it quickly or anticipate where the quarterback's going to go, add all that together. And how are you going to expect a first, second, or third-year receiver to do that learning multiple roles? Jerry Rice didn't learn every role in the 49ers offense in his first three years. I'm pretty sure of that. Most of the guys who started in West Coast offenses back in the 80s and 90s probably didn't know all three roles until they were like five, seven years into the league um, at best. So we're trying to ramp things up and then they're playing with some of the best quarterbacks in the game. And of course, they're not going to be on the same page. So Travis Kelsey is on the same page. and is, And so when Brandon was talking about that, he's like, I don't think you're going to find Patrick Mahomes makes it harder in some, he makes it easier for receivers in some respects, but conceptually he actually makes it harder because the demands of what he can do and how he improvises. You have to have some experience to get good at that, to be a top receiver. And Travis Kelsey has that and has that rapport with him and can jive. And, you know, Brandon was saying this, and I loved it because I'm a big Justin Ross fan, but he said the only other guy he thinks can probably eventually grow into that role is Justin Ross. If you're going to bet on anybody long-term in Dynasty, hang on to Justin Ross because he's that guy who can win the jump balls, but he also is a good route runner, and he's a guy that seems to have rapport with... um. Mahomes at least on the practice field um, and it was someone they said to keep an eye out for over time and you even hear people like Tony Romo on podcasts who would know go the one guy you should be keeping an eye on for this team long term who's just different than anything they have is Justin Ross you know he's that guy so I I would say to you if you're going to make a bet on someone who can take over for that Travis Kelsey role eventually it would be Ross, and he's the cheapest option. So that's good. But I I put it this way. Patrick Mahomes is the Robin Williams. If we're going to talk about improvisational guys, he's the Robin Williams of NFL quarterbacks right now. Like, the, by far the greatest improviser on that in that medium. And it's hard to keep up. You watch guys in, like, talk shows. You know, you think of, they're all comedians. Carson, Letterman, Leno, um, you know Conan O'Brien, and they're quick on their feet. They've got to be to when to manage and moderate what's going on and keep things in in order when they when things go a little bit off the plan. But you you take Robin Williams and put him on one of those shows, and he at any moment he can pretty much just destroy the whole rhythm and structure of that show, and it be the most entertaining thing you've ever seen. Or put him on whose line it is it anyway where everyone is a great improviser and still he's like next level and you can see how even stilted and and stiff some of these guys who are improvisers look next to him doing some of his bits and i've i you know i talked about it last night and won't go too far into it but you i'm sure you you know if you hadn't seen comic comic um relief back from the 90s or 80s and and there's a story about john John Wayne Bobbitt, Lorena Bobbitt, and what happened where, you know, those of you who may not be aware of that, it was an abusive husband who got his penis cut off by his wife and it made the news and she had like taken the peanut, severed penis and like was in the car with it and threw it out into a parking lot, okay? And it made headlines and for the, 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 the trial was on basically the talk of major news stuff for months and months and months. So when the comic relief came on, Every comic was talking about this um, episode, about this news point. And it just got old because it's like a marathon of comedy. And if you even tuned into it for a few hours, everyone was doing jokes. And they all weren't very good. Some of them were okay, whatever. Robin Williams comes on last. After everyone's done all those jokes and does a routine that you can find on YouTube, just type in, you know, Robin Williams, Lorena Bobbitt, and... uh or just Bobbitt, B-O-B-B-I-T-T. And I think that's what it's spelled. And he does a, com a comic routine from the point of view of the severed penis, which is like one of the funniest things. That I mean, I'm still, I mean, I don't find stand-up as funny anymore because I think the way our society has changed, it's, 
it's it's not always as funny as it once was but that's still i still was laughing last night when i went and looked at that and that's kind of what mahomes is like so we i think we have to understand that he's gonna need a special talent and they're gonna have to get like a top free agent talent when kelsey's time is over for um mahomes to thrive again and we're just gonna have to wait for that guy that everybody is saying he's awesome or uh, justin ross to come out of the woodwork and we go he he looked like that next guy at clemson before he got hurt and see if he can regain it and i think too uh you know people always underestimate the importance of scheme fit um you know i say that life finds a way that talent is what's important and that over a long timeline people tend to produce to their talent level um but usually when we see these short-term deviations in that um, usually the driving force is, is scheme fit. And I think of someone like Chad Ochocinco slash Johnson. Um, I don't know what he prefers now, but he was in um, Cincinnati for like a decade. And Cincinnati at the time ran basically an Eric Coriel offense. It's very much like a timing based offense. And Johnson um, like really thrived. He had he multiple time pro bowler. I think he led the AFC in receiving yards four or five straight years, just had an awesome career. And then towards the end of it, he went to New England, uh, who at the time ran more of like an Earhart Perkins style offense. Yeah. Um, not as complicated as the West Coast, but, you know, for a guy who had spent his entire career in one system and he just was not able to pick it up. He wasn't able to to get that same intuitive feel for the offense. And he had one of the more disappointing seasons that we've seen from a free agent addition and um, we've actually seen a lot of wide receivers this is the same pattern where they go to new england over the years um and their production just drops substantially reggie Very wayne few guys damaris mm-hmm. thomas brandon lloyd yeah dante stallworth yep, yep. And, and and although stallworth funny enough you know he had his first stint with the patriots and it was it, it struggled and then he later wound up back in the patriots um and he wasn't at that point he was much older and it's not like he got um a ton of production yeah he only had one catch but i think the second time around like he he kind of knew what he was getting into like okay here we go again but like yeah um you know he was more prepared for the transition uh yeah it fit is fit is everything and um i think there are a lot of guys in history who could have been maybe not like tom brady level successful but how many Tom Brady's have there been in history who just never got that right fit. And or you were talking about LaMichael James earlier, where he had the skill set, he had the requisite skill set to be productive in the right fit, and he just never got that right fit. Uh, the Brock Purdy so, Mac Jones argument is a perfect one that has been going right. around. And when people I mean, it's not an insult to Brock Purdy to say Mac Jones could have gone in that offense and been productive. And, argue, and you could make the speculative argument that he would have been as productive as Purdy. And that shouldn't be an insult to Purdy because I don't think Purdy would have done – Brock Purdy would have been about around where Mac Jones is right now with the surrounding talent that, that New England has and the way that they tried to develop with a defensive coordinator in your second year as a quarterback. I mean, it's just how it is. Tom Brady probably wouldn't have um, – had the the opportunity that he got so yeah bill walsh when jake Plummer was coming into the league uh he was bill walsh was an analyst at the time and he said that he saw bill he saw jake Plummer as the next joe montana he said he he said jake Plummer is going to have a joe montana like career super bowls and all um and you know walsh knew something about quarterbacks walsh was the guy who picked montana walsh was the guy who traded for young Walsh um, was the guy who turned Anderson into a perennial pro bowler. Um, he he bypassed Eddie Brown and said, Jerry Rice is the guy we want because right. he's the quickest guy in 10 yards. I'm not worried about long speed. And so, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, Bill Walsh got one wrong. And it's like, well, did he go? Did he get it wrong? Or if Jake Plummer had had Bill Walsh, would Jake Plummer have been? Would he have delivered on that promise? You know, maybe maybe Walsh was was right on in the analysis. It's just unlike Joe Montana, Jake Plummer landed in Arizona. He never had a Bill Walsh. We saw when Plummer landed in Denver. We've talked about that a lot, but you know, he had a lot of success in Denver once he finally got into 
um, an offense that was playing to his strengths. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, it, it, I don't know if I, I imagine your average listener is not kept up at night thinking about all of the amazing talents that we missed out on because, you know, the the the, the stars didn't line up just right. But I, I do think about that a lot, that a lot of what we think of about a player is really as much a function of the particular time and place as it is about the player himself. Well, I don't think we have average listeners. I'm going to, I'm, I would say in, in any way, shape or form with that, in that regard. I mean, you know, you could add Brett Favre to that list. He was with Jerry Glanville and Jerry Glanville literally told, you know, basically told the media, we're going to need a, a charter flight to crash for Brett Favre to start for our team. And the, the biggest function Brett Favre had there was basically on bets, throwing the ball that Jerry Glanville would have bets to see if he could throw the ball into the upper deck of the Falcon Stadium. Um, that was what he was good for in Atlanta. And then he was good for three MVPs, I think. It was three or four. Three MVPs, you know, under Mike Holmgren and company, you know, in Green Bay. So, you know, fit does definitely matter. We have a good fit here at RSP Film and Theory. You know, um, I really am appreciative of the fact that Adam does this every week with us. You can find his work at footballguys.com. You know, fantastic stuff, um, you know, on regressions, on different theoretical concepts. Um, it will make you a better player. You know, we've talked the past couple of weeks. You've seen some examples of some things of what, you know, of how he applies a lot of the knowledge that he's gained to, um, you know, managing leagues. And, you can see the feedback we've gotten from some people who are like, yeah, I've used that. I've tried that. I know I'm going to try some of that stuff um, next year for redraft. I'm looking forward to doing that. And, of course, you can find me at Matt Waldman. Um, and uh, we appreciate you, and we'll see you next week.